This is With You in the Weeds. Do you ever find yourself stuck in between what you know to be true and what you actually experience? Or the difference between where you are and where you want to be? Well, if so, you're in the weeds. And like weeds, those tough places keep coming back. I'm Lynn Rausch. And I'm John Tennant. As counselors, Lynn and I deal with those weeds all the time. Together, we designed this podcast because we want to be with you in those weeds, kind of like God desires to be with us. Hmm. Now, that idea will change everything. So we hope you'll listen in and let us be with you in the weeds. Let's get started. Welcome to another, another exciting and informative episode of With You in the Weeds. I'm one of your hosts, John Tennant. And I am here with two of the smartest people I know in the Midwest. My partners, Lynn and Austin. Lynn, you say hi first, then Austin, you say hi. And then Lynn, you take it over. Hey, John, how are you? I'm good. You're really smart. It's great to be with you. What was in your breakfast this morning, John? You got a little shot of energy. You're just you? excited, happy to be here. Yeah, I'm so excited. <laughs> yeah, so, I'm excited to be here with you guys, too. This is going to be a good episode. The endorphins are flowing. Yep. Holiday season. I still believe in Santa. And uh, I'm so excited. <laughs> uh, for our listeners, if you see John around, please don't don't say anything. Um, anyway, don't let him know that Santa's not real. Oh, oh, that would be so depressing. Yeah. Lynn, what are we doing? We're in a new series. We just started it last week, and we're going to plunge into this episode. Set this up for us. Yes, we are in the second episode of our Managing Your Dysfunctional Family series. And I have to say that my head has kind of been buzzing about this the last few weeks as we've been preparing for these episodes. And I think that the three of us, we're all uh, professional therapists, and we do counseling on a regular basis. And what we're going to cover in this series, I think we can agree, represents a very large percentage of the hurts, the concerns, and the confusion of our clients. And interestingly, I was at a small social gathering this weekend, and I was just chatting with some women, um, and one of them was sharing how the holidays this year were going to look very different because of some issues that had come up in her family. And as I probed and asked more questions about some of the underlying issues, she said, yeah, well, no one in my family really wants to talk about these problems. So, of course, my ears perked up since we had just recorded that episode last week. (laughs) Spidey senses. Yes. And I said, hey, we just recorded an episode on the three rules of a dysfunctional family, and you just described one of them. And she kind of got all interested and excited. And I said, can you guess what the other two rules are? And so we had this small group of women sort of like, well, is it this? Is it that? And so we ended up having this great conversation about what those three rules are. And so all of that to say is this just confirms that this is where people are at. And this is very helpful information to just normalize people and help them understand what is going on in their family. Mm. I like the series for a couple of reasons. Everyone comes from a dysfunctional family, right? Mm -hmm. No, we talked about this last week. No family escapes the difficulties and problems of this world. And from our theological perspective, we understand sin is like a virus and it's like working its way. And no no one escapes that. Um, And the other thing is dysfunction uh, isn't just the big stuff you know, like a divorce or abandonment, abuse, blended families. Um, 
gosh, in America, we don't have to think about this, but in parts of the world, and we have listeners in other parts of the world, some people grow up in war zones. I mean, there are serious, serious problems. Uh, so dysfunction doesn't mean just those extremes. It also includes families that don't provide the necessary ingredients that all people need to grow in the, and flourish. Um, I use this analogy sometimes. There are four ways to kill a tree. You can <laughs> you do you, you sit and think about how you can kill trees a lot, John. A lot, actually. I, yes. <laughs> Sorry, I interrupted you. What are the what are the four ways? Uh, well, so one is a chainsaw. You can take it down immediately. The other one's a hatchet. You can still get it down. It's going to take you a little bit longer, a little more energy. The other way is a pocket knife. And that will take you a long time. But if you stick with it, you can take the tree down. Or guess what? You can just starve it out mm -hmm. by not giving it sunlight, nutrients, fertilizer, water. Uh, so, you know, every family on the spectrum is either having something done to it, mm -hmm. an impact to it, or something not being given to it or taken away from it. And, you know, we just don't escape this. So... I think that that gives us some freedom to acknowledge the various places we get stuck and uh, we're all sort of normalized as we all have problems. Um, and we can explore the evidence and look at how we've been put together. Doesn't mean every family's bad, it just means that we're all incomplete and our incomplete places we think, I think you guys would agree, are the doorways for God's grace to enter in. Uh, and the other thing is the things we're discussing, the other reason I like this, the things we're discussing are really hopeful and they're very solid. Yeah. Yeah. The, you know, I'll be brief here. I, I'm liking this series because, you know, these first two episodes, the one we just did, the three rules of a dysfunctional family. And if you haven't listened to that, I would hit pause right now and go back and listen because this episode is founded on that. And now we're just going to talk about how you can begin to change this and the things that we're going to talk about. That's the key to change. And if and when you can begin to see these rules and understand where you find yourself, that's the next, that's the first step to beginning to implement changes. Spirit-led changes might be, you know, they might be better. Um, they're going to help you get unstuck, maybe be less impacted by your circumstances. And that's going to lead you to greater levels of control and agency and management of your situation. And, you know, it's not a linear process and it's not simple logic. This happens over time. It's, it's messy, it's hard. And yet, slowly but surely, if, if you can continue to, to do these with help, uh, you can get to, uh, I think, a better place. Yeah. And I think one of the great motivators that I've heard from clients over the years is they want to work on their family dysfunction is they don't want to pass the same cycles on down mm. to their kids. And that led me a few years ago to really think about what does it look like to forge some new patterns in your family? You know, that's going to involve breaking those three rules that we talked about last week. But today we're going to kind of flesh out a little bit of a, you know, step one, step two, all the way through five. And again, it's not linear. It's a few steps forward, a couple steps back. But here are some basic um, anchoring points that I think are going to help our listeners figure out how to move forward once they recognize uh, just that their family has some dysfunction in it. And the first one is figure out what's going on. The second one is own your own stuff. The third one is set realistic expectations for change. Number four is get help. And number five is establish healthy boundaries. So let's start at the beginning 
right? A very good place to start. Good old Maria from The Sound of Music. The the first building block that we want to look at here is just figuring out what's going on. So if you are listening and you're thinking, I want to break some destructive cycles in my family, it's going to start by gathering information about family patterns, asking questions, and figuring out what's been going on. And by taking this step, what you're saying and what you're deciding is that you're going to stop pretending And you're going to choose to get out of that comfort zone of denial. We talked a little bit about this in last episode. Now, you don't necessarily have to take like the polar plunge and just, you know, get everything figured out right now, you know, shock and awe, just like blow everything up. That's impossible and that's unwise. And that's typical. And that's what a lot of people do. Yeah. As soon as they get a little bit of information, they go home and kind of blast everybody with it. And they, they think that this is going to, you know, make major changes. And oftentimes it just digs people in further because people get defensive. But on your part, on your end, you're going to choose to look deeply and honestly at your family. And you're choosing to not reflect on what you want your family to be or hope for them to be, but rather you're intentionally focusing on who they actually are. One of the things that I did personally, and I've done this three times over my life, and each time I'm thinking, yeah, I got enough. And then it's, 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 there's more information there, is doing a family genogram. Mm-hmm. I love doing this with, with people that I work with, even married couples, because we just put it out all there out there on the board. And it's not, like you said, it's not who you want them to be or mm-hmm. what you hope. It's just what is. Yeah. And that's just the first step to go and, whoa. Well, and you there, can. There is a lot of divorce or, man, there was a lot of abuse or, wow, this happened. Or and this mental how it illness. Yeah. yeah. So that's a good place to start. If you've never done a genogram, maybe Google that. Or I was just going to say, y'all yeah. can Google it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Look at it. It's yeah. pretty neat. It's great. Yeah. But I would say the reason why this is a challenging step is because a lot of times we've insulated ourselves. We have many protective layers of minimization, justification, rationalization over the depth of pain and dysfunction in our family. And initially, this these defense mechanisms may help you survive maybe a severely abusive situation, and this type of self-protection is necessary. But as you go into adulthood, if you're going to break these cycles, you need to be honest, and you're going to need emotional support. You're going to need friends and family to come around you as you look at this. And just also recognize that asking questions of family members and, you know, opening the door to get more information, if for you that's something that's dangerous and is going to put you in harm's way, then let's not do that. Don't do it. (laughs) Let's not do that. Um, And so that's something where I would say, like, the first point is to feel safe and be in a position where, you know, you have support and don't make any immediate changes right away, I would start with something that I think is a very safe step for you to do on your own that your family doesn't even have to know about, and that is educate yourself on your family's particular dysfunction. And what I mean by that is there are names and words and categories for how family systems and relationships break down. And we're going to get to some of these as we go through this series. So just be listening for words that we might use like triangulation or enmeshment, scapegoating, manipulation. These are things we're going to weave in these episodes. But for now, um, 
you know, if you can look at the things that are happening, like you mentioned, the genogram, you know, is there a history of mental illness like bipolar? Is there possible personality disorder? Is there a history of addiction? Um, there's Affairs. Affairs, yeah, yeah, infidelity. There's so much good information out there, and you can learn a lot. You know, just the book we talked about, Claudia Black's book, there's so much you can learn about the alcoholic family, for instance, by just reading that book. And, you know, so we're asking you to just start by educating yourself. And if that's the only step you take for quite some time, that's totally fine. But you're opening yourself up to information that I think can begin to help you understand and figure out what is going on. Yeah, you know, I, I've shared this in one form or another over, over a few uh, episodes, but some of the most powerful times in counseling have been when I've earned the opportunity, and I, and I need to earn it, earn the opportunity to speak directly about and explicitly name some of these unhealthy dynamics. So, you know, Lynn, you said the first step, let's educate yourself. Um, sometimes clients have come in and they're, they've done that work. Sometimes they come in at ground zero. Mm-hmm. And they begin to have these aha moments. And some of the most powerful and freeing statements that I've said after I've earned it are something like, that is not okay. Or that should not have happened to you. Mm -hmm. Or they should not have done that. Or that's not normal. You know, this this can be a, a key step to figuring out what's going on. But it can also, it can cost people a lot. In other words, there's a lot of risk in reaching out and asking uh, for help, external help within a family system, particularly if you've been told don't talk, Mm -hmm. don't feel, don't trust, um, because it just goes against some of those rules. Yeah. um, People feel really strongly, especially if they like love their parents and they're Mm -hmm. serious about following God. Um, They get stuck with, I want to honor my Mm -hmm. mom and dad. But that cannot come at the expense of honesty Mm. um, because that will keep you stuck and trapped. So it's not demonizing your parents. It's like we said at the beginning, we're all incomplete. Mm -hmm. So how have you been impacted? And let's let's honor that and be honest about that so you Mm -hmm. can grow. Um, So a lot of this relates to delving into what you can remember from your past and things you can recall, patterns you can see. But just real quick, what what about, we just came off of the holidays. What about when you're with your family for a visit over the holidays, talking on the phone, trying to solve problems, et cetera, live ammo. Um, Just throw this out there. Spend some time observing and listening Mm. as well as interacting and participating. And I think this means at some point you need to detach Mm-hmm. a little bit, step back from the dynamic and become a learner. Mm-hmm. And many times I think what keeps us from observing and learning from watching our families is we try to control outcomes. We have this sort of built-in, I need my family to be blank, mm-hmm. or I need Aunt Frida to not do X, or my dad to stop mm-hmm. blank. So you're attaching to an outcome that you want to see, and that really prevents you from being an observer. So it'll help if you can surrender control of things you can't control, like dad, Aunt Frida. (laughs) Like everybody else except for yourself. Exactly. And (laughs) yeah. So look at, so you're looking at um, not what ought to be, uh, but you're looking at what is. 
And this is key for figuring out what's going on and seeing reality. Mm -hmm. I tell clients, we've been like walking around this for the last couple minutes Mm -hmm. in various ways. I tell clients, hey, you don't have to tell your mom no this Christmas. Just think about while you're with her, what it would be like to say no to mom Mm -hmm. and start strategizing. Mm -hmm. Just start imagining. Um, Real simple way to remember this process, instead of jumping on the dance floor and moving around with everyone, when the music starts, stand on the sidelines and watch everyone Mm -hmm. else dance and watch what they're doing and just take it in. Yeah, be curious about it. I like that. And I think, you know, in this first step, we're already breaking that don't talk rule, right? Because you're starting to open yourself up and having these conversations. John, what is the next step that we want our listeners to consider with if they're trying to forge new patterns in their family? So the F in forge is figure out what's going on. Mm-hmm. We've just talked about that. The O is own your own stuff. I'll try to go pretty quickly with this. It's real simple. You can only work on you. Mm-hmm. So once you identify your role in the dynamic, then you have some hope to change because you can't change anyone else. Mm-hmm. I want to just pause there because that might be a revolutionary thought for some people. Mm-hmm. It might be. And, and good motives, understandable motives, but I, I've talked to a lot of people over the years. It's like part of the issues they're coming in with is that person's not changing mm-hmm. and they're just banging their head against a wall. Mm-hmm. And it's hard. And so then the next step is, well, what are you going to do about it? Control. Mm-hmm. You can only control what you can control. Mm-hmm. That's a profound statement, but it not everybody gets it. Because how many clients say, I, I need help to mm-hmm. help my mother be more loving towards me. Mm-hmm. Yes. And you're like, well, we can't do anything about that. We right. we have no right. control over your mom's feelings. So yeah, she it, doesn't love you. Right. So, <laughs> right. <laughs> no, right. But I mean, again, how many clients come right. in with the idea of how can I get my dad to be more this? Yep. How can I get my sister or brother to be more yep. this way? And what we're saying is, what you're saying is, you can only control you. Yeah, sorry. So right. own your yeah. own stuff. I, didn't I mean love to cut that. You off. No, no you good. did not. This is spurring another thought. I was working with a couple a number of years ago. I'll never forget this. And this client was wanting a family member to care for them, mm-hmm. listen to them, love them. Right. And she continued to try and get this to happen. Mm. And I was sitting there listening to her and her husband mumbled, um, pretty low decibel level, bird against glass, Bobby. And I'm like, what, what did you just say? He said, bird against the glass. Mm. And he said, you know how birds will fly into glass because they don't see the glass there. And like a cardinal mm-hmm. will actually see its reflection and mm-hmm. start fighting mm-hmm. itself, but it's pounding its head yeah. into a pulp. Mm-hmm. I thought, what a great analogy. Mm-hmm. Love it. You know me. I love a good illustration. Um, what would you say, ha- have you found just some helpful questions that people begin to ask themselves to begin to f- observe their family and figure out their own stuff. Yeah, Lynn came up with some when we were planning this episode. (laughs) (laughs) And they're good. So I would just throw them out there. A couple of key questions to ask. What impact Mm. has my family had on me or Mm. any particular Mm. pattern or behavior? You could sit with that question for a really long time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and the flip side of that just to bracket this Mm -hmm. that you can sit with a long time is what impact am I having on those around me? Mm -hmm. That will change your life Mm -hmm. if you sit with that long enough. Mm -hmm. The other thing 
just to bracket it, that is really important, similar question, what is my impact on people mm-hmm. around me? That will change you too. Which is what helps you own your own stuff. It, you can see yourself in the picture, exactly. not just everyone else. Yeah. This takes a lot of courage to mm-hmm. do. Mm-hmm. Um, you take small baby steps in doing it, but start on the trajectory, start doing it because it's healthy. Uh, some other questions, what are your intense emotions mm-hmm. when you get around your family? Am I particularly fearful? Am I anxious? Am I a perfectionist? Um, When do you catch yourself thinking, oh my gosh, I sound exactly like my mom (laughs) or my dad? Mm -hmm. Um, So how do I enable harmful behavior in my closest relationships, if that applies? Am I always angry? Am I verbally, emotionally, or physically abusive to the people around me? Um, Do I seek comfort or to escape pain in the same ways that my parents modeled to me? How do I deal with core issues? How do I deal with conflict and communication? Ready for this? Where did I ever get my idea of what a man is Mm. or Mm. a woman is? Or a marriage, you know, exactly how, how conflict is resolved in a marriage. Yeah. What am I passing on to my friends, spouse, or children? So if you want to feel and gain more freedom from family problems, start discovering the role that you play, and you make some different decisions for you because you have power to direct your own life, Mm -hmm. not the lives of your family members. Again, that is a true statement, and yet, man, it's so hard to believe for some people, especially if they have hardly any experiences of agency and choice and power in their own family. It's so true. Um, and and so again, I, I also, if you're listening, these are all true things. And some of you might be like, yeah, I get it. And if, if you're just wrestling and like, what? How, I don't even know if I believe that. That makes sense. And it's true. So just mm-hmm. this, this is all good stuff. Sorry, I jumped well, in. Well, yeah. And if you're trying to change a family member or you're waiting and hoping that someone's going to come around and they're just doing the same pattern over and over again, you're going to be waiting until the cows come home, mm-hmm. as they used to say on the farm. Mm-hmm. So it just doesn't work. Yeah. And one final thought, just by nature, we typically seek to blame other people for our pain, our choices, our failures. Um, It's really easy to look at everything outside of you Mm -hmm. as the problem instead of, hey, guess what? Mm. (laughs) I'm the problem here or I'm part of the problem. And you know what? Looking at other people in many ways is a legitimate and necessary step to identify the ways that your early childhood experiences have impacted you. This is simply being, we said this earlier, this is simply being honest about what's really happened. Think of it as naming, name things. Mm -hmm. Uh, And some Christians, I really believe, stay stuck in unhealthy patterns for a very long time and stay in their hurt because they don't want to name who done it. Um, They're afraid to, or they Mm -hmm. think it's going to be dishonoring, or it's going to stir the pot, and they're going to get in trouble. But it's essential that you name something. Until you name where you are on a map, you can't leave that place. Mm -hmm. You can't go anywhere else. Yeah, and and this this gets into something— Or you don't know where you are. This gets into something that we've been talking about. You know, inherent, what what you're assuming here is you have to own your own stuff. Yeah. And, you know, things happen to us that— are not okay. And 
we can contribute to certain things. Now, you know, owning your stuff, naming these things, this does not come at the expense of justice. And what I mean is that, that you can simultaneously own things and be confident in the fact that unjust, painful, hurtful things might be and are happening to you. It can be both. You know, I've, I've, I've sat and worked with people, I'm sure you guys too, who they're just paralyzed and crushed by guilt or shame because they believe whatever situation this is to be an either or. Either they're the victim and they're stuck and they have no control and power and what do I do? Or they're the 100% responsible. They're the perpetrator for the entirety of some situation and they're just paralyzed and crushed. Hmm. And Satan loves these dichotomies. And we got to bring in the, the supernatural piece here because it's yeah. true. He loves these, these either or dichotomies because they can leave people stuck, insecure, ashamed, and more. And one of my, one of my seminary professors used to say all the time, beware the false dichotomy. Mm-hmm. Life is more complex and, and it's often a both and like what we've been saying. Yeah. And I do think that when you are able to see your role in that, it's very empowering you know, as a small child in your family, you may have been helpless and you may have not had many choices, but as an adult, you do have choices. You have agency. You have autonomy. Sometimes I tell clients, you know, when you were six and this was happening, you didn't have keys to a car. You didn't have a job. You had, you know, you were totally dependent on what was happening around you. But guess what? As an adult, you have resources you are responsible. So now you can begin to look at things a little bit differently, take ownership for yourself. Let's go to the third step in forging new patterns, Austin. Mm-hmm. We're going to talk about realistic expectations. Yes. Yeah, you're going to rock and roll on this. Yeah, <laughs> what, what it means is that we've got to have those realistic expectations about what change is going to look like. And, and so I, I think it means having these realistic expectations about at least the following two things. There's a lot, but at least two. The first have realistic expectations about what needs to change. So a couple examples. Let's say you've got a highly conflictual family. The goal isn't necessarily to get rid of conflict completely, but instead a more realistic expectation would be to change how the conflict is dealt with. Let's not scream and yell, or let's not completely just ignore, rather let's bring it up in a, in a I don't know, as calm as possible, respectful way. Here's another example. Let's say you're coming in and you're dealing with an anger problem. I would say the goal isn't necessarily just to get rid of anger itself because anger can be a really helpful emotion. Like, okay, John and Lynn, how about this? Let's say you got a client that come in and found out that um, this client is continually angry that his wife's alcoholism is ruining their kids' lives. You know, she's constantly forgetting to pick them up from school. She makes promises she can't keep. She's verbally abusive. What would you say if this client says, I just need to get rid of my anger and work on it? Are you kidding? Your (laughs) anger is telling you the truth. (laughs) It's a signal that something is wrong. It's a protest that something is happening that shouldn't be happening. Exactly right. And I would say anger might be and is the right response. And so, so, so here's the point. The expectation shouldn't be completely to get rid of the anger, but instead should be manage the anger in healthy, constructive, life-giving, protective ways, right? So, so, so have a realistic expectation about what needs to change. Here's the second area. Have realistic expectation about the pace of change. Mm-hmm. You know, here's an example. Mm. Let's say you realize just how much your mom comments on your physical appearance or your weight. She's been doing it all her life because her mom did the same thing for her. That's a problem. Mm-hmm. But if you expect your mom to completely change this habit in one week, uh, 
God can work miracles, <laughs> mm. but I would say that's probably an unrealistic goal. It's not going to happen. It doesn't mean doesn't mean she won't change or that she shouldn't change, but a more realistic expectation would be to give her a longer timeline yeah. on that on that change. That dog ain't going to hunt. Right, right. <laughs> not in one week. <laughs> right. Um, you know, I, I think another important thing to say here is that it's not a question of if you've got unrealistic expectations, but where they are and to what degree are they going to be unrealistic? You know, um, if your early relationships lacked, let's say, healthy boundaries, it's really natural and understandable that you're going to bring unrealistic expectations into your present or future relationships. But the difference between expectation and reality is disappointment. So if your unrealistic expectations for your relationships are not met, then it's possible that you're always going to be disappointed on some level with the quality of your relationships. I see John both of you nodding, nodding your head. Vigorously. Tell me more. What's the nod? Well, I mean, this applies to every relationship. Marriage, yeah. you know, your boss at work, your, you know, extended family members. Like we put so much expectation on other people. And then when they don't meet those expectations, we're sad, we're depressed, we're angry. You know, so it is getting to that reality point of, What is this person capable of? What is this person willing to do? And if they're not capable and they're not willing, then you're not going to experience a lot of change with that person. You might see micro changes, but not macro changes. So keep your expectations realistic. Yeah, I had an old geezer tell me once, he was in a recovery group. He goes, you know what expectations are, son? I said, (laughs) no. He goes, they are pre-planned resentments. That's all they are. <laughs> and I thought, wow, wow that. Mm. Expectations are pre-planned resentments. Exactly. Mm. Wow. Because you are attaching mm-hmm. a desired outcome mm-hmm. to something or someone, mm-hmm. and you have no control over that. Right. Mm-hmm. So you're likely to be disappointed. Mm-hmm. Yep. And that, then you're going to be resentful because it didn't go your way. This is speaking to my little kid part right now, because I know there's a part of me that holds those enormous expectations of certain people in my life. And then when they don't meet them, it's like, I'm angry, I'm hurt, I'm upset. Mm. And it's like, but that wasn't realistic. They weren't designed to meet that need in the first place. So I think this is a point that we can yeah. spend a lot of time with. Yeah. Um, let's. There's, there's yeah. one more phrase. You mentioned some phrases at the beginning. Mm-hmm. The, the phrase that's sticking out here, and I think that applies to a lot of people, is parentification. Mm. And what that means is you basically had to be an adult in the family, whether you had to provide for your parents or your parents expected you to provide for your siblings. Um, And what can happen is that your own basic needs for love and security had to be put on the back burner, had to be ignored, and you were left to fend for yourself. Now, here's the good news. You can learn what that looks like to ask for connection and advocate for your needs. The the bad news or maybe the trade-off is that it's not going to be a natural process. It takes time. Mm-hmm. It's confusing and messy and wonky and literally like you're frozen in time. If you had to put those needs away when you were eight, the, the needs are going to come out as an eight-year-old. You might come on too strong uh, for asking for what you need. You might be wrestling with shame for even asking because you were never allowed to. And and there are likely going to be impacts and changes in relationships with people around you, maybe with your spouse, maybe with a close friend, maybe coworkers. And, and, And what I mean is that you are going to be putting some burdens on other people. Boy, we're getting deep in the cave yeah, here. Right. Now, now, can that process go haywire and take an advantage of? Of course. 
and yet the heart of relying on others, it's a healthy and normal process. There's the thing in the Bible verse, it's Galatians chapter six, verse two. It says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Inherent there, there's a two-way street. One, we need to do the bearing. We need to carry burdens for other people, but it also means that we allow other people to bear our burdens as well. Yeah, you know, John, tell us how the serenity prayer fits into some of the things that we're talking about. I think that's a really good thought for our listeners. Yeah, yeah. When we were planning the episode, we talked about this. And I, the, honestly, just the longer I try and help people and think things through, I really, really like the serenity prayer that's made famous. Reinhold Niebuhr mm-hmm. wrote it in its abbreviated form. AA uses it all the time. And yeah, what, what is it? Wait, well, yeah. Um, um, <laughs> let me tell John you. John probably has it memorized. So let me tell you hear. more about the history behind it before I. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. So it goes like this: Lord, give me the grace to accept the things that I cannot change. Give me the courage to change the things that I can. Mm-hmm. And please give me the wisdom to know the difference between the two. And I just, I love oh, that. Mm-hmm. To know what you can change mm-hmm. and what you cannot change. Yeah. Oh, man. What am I in control of and what am I mm-hmm. not in control of? And letting go of the things I'm not in control of and accepting it just as it is mm-hmm. without having to change it yeah. or do it for myself or for God or for somebody else. Mm-hmm. It is God's world. He sees it. And this is the extension of the prayer, actually, if you look it up. It talks about accepting the world as it is yeah. and leaving things yeah. with Jesus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Such yeah, that, freedom in that. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good, if nothing else, first step to having realistic expectations. Yeah. We're on to number four. Lynn, what's number four? Yeah, so get help. Um, and I'll just start by saying this, and I tell people this often, good things happen when you ask for help. Hmm. But if you grew up in a home that had those three rules, don't talk, don't trust, don't feel, then asking for help is seen as a big no-no. It's seen as weakness. It's seen as something shameful. And so admitting that you need help to deal with your family background, I think, is a step of spiritual and emotional maturity. In fact, we think that this is a very healthy step. It's breaking that no trust rule. So seeking support from your friends, your church community, a mentor or a counselor, this will help you start to break these dysfunctional patterns and cycles. Um, what we know from from research, and of course, um, biblically, we see this, that healing from family issues or any hurts really happens in the context of healthy relationships. And you may not be able to find that within your family of origin. John is nodding his head yeah. vigorously. So you're actually breaking the rule and changing the culture when you find a safe person to talk to. Mm-hmm. And we often have clients who come in and say, you know, I'm sharing something with you that I've never told anyone else. And sometimes this thing, is, it's very deep, it's painful, it's, it's awful, it's heartbreaking. For some people, you may think, well, there's not a lot there. You know, maybe it's inconsequential. But the fact that you've held it in and never been able to talk to anyone about it is what makes it so heavy. And it's a heavy burden that people must carry when they're not allowed to talk about what they're seeing, experiencing, or feeling. And so as you take this step of getting help, 
I will also include this means in your relationship with God. Ask Him for help. I encourage clients to pray and journal through Psalm 25, which is a beautiful prayer that you can pray daily. You know, and the psalmist uses language like, show me, lead me, guide me, teach me, lead me into all truth. You know, the Holy Spirit's job is to illuminate what's in our hearts and to shine a light on the things that he wants us to to deal with that are hurtful. And so he can bring that freedom and healing. And so these are opportunities to name things that have happened, um, because if you don't name and you don't deal with those things, we know that they're going to come up again. If if you disagree with this point and you think, you know what, my past doesn't matter, I would encourage you to go back and listen to two episodes that we mm-hmm. did in a previous series. The one that's titled, Your Past Doesn't Matter, and then the second one, Your Past Matters More Than Anything Else, where we talk about how the brain works and how things that have happened in our past are really often in the present as yeah, well. Yeah, that, that's really, that's good. Can I give an example of where I, I've seen people really need to get some help? I'm fine with um, it, Lynn. Or yeah, you, thank you. Okay? You're I good with approval. your examples. <laughs> uh, so one of the rules in a dysfunctional family is don't feel. And if and when you get out of that family system, guess what? You're going to need to get help. You know, I wish we could uh, download the ability to feel instantly, kind of like the Matrix, just upload it. And pfft. But that's that's not how God made us. And instead, getting help can be found in the form of breaking these two rules. Okay, rule number one, let yourself feel. Mm-hmm. Sounds great. But how do you do it? Well, a couple ideas. Um, just a dipping your toe in the pool, so to speak, is just journal. Journal about present experiences and feelings. Um, you know, follow those breadcrumbs, so to speak, into the past. When did I feel the same thing before mm. the age of 18? And I will bet you a year's salary that in time you're going to uncover an event or series of events that led you to believe feeling is not okay. Because these feelings mm-hmm. and rules, they don't just come out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. They happen in the context of someone's story. Um, so, so journaling is a great way just to slow down. Another one, maybe just experience these feelings by yourself. You know, go watch a movie that you know is going to make you sad or angry uh, or whatever maybe that unfamiliar, unsafe emotion is. I have been known during the middle of the day when I don't have anything to do uh, to watch movies by myself at a big theater. I got another buddy who that's Hmm. like our thing. There's I do the same. Do. It's awesome. You do it? I, yeah. Yes. I, I yeah. haven't done it lately, Yeah. but I went through like a season of time mm-hmm. where on my day yeah. off, I couldn't wait to get by myself really? in a theater right. because I can get lost in the story right. without okay. even yeah. thinking about anyone else. Yeah. Nice. So, so that's just a way if you need some space from real life, go, go do something like that. You know, last thing with this point, just share these emotions uh, with a friend um, and have somebody else kind of see them, hold them. So let yourself feel. Second rule to break. Let others feel. Yeah. You know, if you're a parent and you have kids, ask your kid how it was for them when you yelled at them over Thanksgiving break. (laughs) I don't know anybody who did that. Uh, You know, validate their feelings. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're married, ask your spouse to share what they felt during that conflict. This Not in the moment. This is scary territory, Austin. I, I'm telling you. People ya. don't want to do this. I know. Don't Nobody's do, going to do this. Don't do it in the, <laughs> don't, that's good reverse psychology. Uh, don't do it in the moment. Maybe wait a day, but but ask, hey, what was it like? What did you feel during that conflict? And not what they thought about it, but what did they feel? 
and then validate that feeling. Mm -hmm. Now, validating a feeling is not the same as validating some sort of problematic or sinful behavior. We're not just going to, you know, it was okay when you screamed and threw that at me. No, like that, what you did was not okay, but the feeling Mm -hmm. underneath that, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So anyway, just just let others feel. So this is just a great point. And just to summarize this step of getting help, staying alone with a problem always makes it worse, worse. It cuts off connection and the possibility for health and growth and wisdom to just be spoken into our situation. And our brains and our hearts need to feel seen and heard. And this type of validation, like you're talking about, Austin, that's what lowers our stress level. And it helps us know that we're not crazy. So feeling your feelings is going to allow hurts to move on and through your body and just be metabolized. I heard this recently, and I think it's so simple but so true. Feeling is healing. And when you ask for help and you can feel and process your emotions and be in the presence of someone who cares, you're going to feel what you need to, and that's going to help release some of the pain of what you've experienced. So, John, our last step, what is it? We're forging new patterns. Where are we going to end up? We're going to go fast with this last step, but I'm going to to prescribe something. Mm -hmm. Movie therapy. Oh, no. (laughs) We're talking about movies, right? If you want to capture a sense of this feeling world and why it's important, uh, Pixar's Inside Out. Oh, yeah. Mm, Yeah. yeah. They're coming out with a sequel. Oh, that's awesome. I think. Mm. could be wrong. But that will give you, Mm -hmm. in film, a pretty quick felt experience Mm. uh, of what we're talking about Mm -hmm. and the importance of feelings and the role that they play. Yeah. All right. The last one is establish boundaries. Let's see what we can... (laughs) do with this. Um, I think Christians tend to be confused about boundaries because we don't understand the many facets of biblical love. Um, Many of us had poor role models to show us what genuine, like, truth in love looks like. None of us get this right. Mm -hmm. Only Jesus is balanced. Only he has the balance of truth and love. So we've all picked it up imperfectly. Um, And sometimes we believe that Christian love means we're not supposed to, let's say, confront sinful behavior, or we're called to kind of walk around. On the other side of the coin, we believe we're called to walk around and kind of be like Jesus's little police officers (laughs) and call people out. Mm -hmm. You know what? I'm, I'm really disliking that phrase these days. I'll hear somebody say, you know, I really called him out on that. Huh. Well, I wonder what that was like for him. Um, and there is a place for talking to people, but you know, I, I've heard Dan Allender say, when you ask some, when you tell somebody about their sin, like, have you prayed for them? Like, how long have you prayed for them? Mm-hmm. Um, do you have their permission to talk to you? I mean, there we've all been kind of hurt by this, and we all are clunky with it. Um, Some of us believe we're supposed to rescue people from their problems and kind of act as their functional savior. Um, We're not supposed to disappoint people. We're always supposed to be nice, make everyone happy, because that's the quote-unquote loving thing to do. We are pretty mixed up on this, and I think it's because Adam and Eve broke boundaries at the very beginning. And I think we have to constantly rehearse them Mm -hmm. and relearn them. Mm -hmm. But the idea of love 
and drawing a boundary is a very false dichotomy. Earlier, you were talking about dichotomies, Mm -hmm. Austin. Uh, Drawing boundaries and being truly loving can be side by side. Jesus did this all the time. Now, here's maybe a strange way of illustrating this, but I think it works. Jesus would perform miracles, which was a way of directly loving people. He would heal them. And then he would say, don't tell anyone I did this. Like he'd put a boundary in place. Mm -hmm. So that's love and limits. And it's complimentary, not contradictory. Henry Cloud's great on this. He has this quick little saying. He says, good neighbors have fences. And if you think about it, fences define ownership, right? Where does my property line end? Mm -hmm. Where does yours begin? And that's really essential. Uh, They they keep fences, keep unwanted things out, and they protect valuable things inside the fence. So think of your heart this way. Uh, Proverbs says to guard your heart, for from it flow the wellsprings of life. You never set a boundary to change another person. It's always to guard your heart Mm -hmm. or guard something in your life that you value. And sometimes by keeping something out that would hurt it. So what boundaries do you need to put in place in order to keep bad things out and keep good things in and enable them to flourish? A good way to begin is to ask God to give you wisdom to help you see where you need to implement boundaries. How is God asking you to love and to serve both yourself and other people? Not just you deciding, but spending time contemplating with God, centering prayer, Jesus, where are you leading me to love myself and other people and serve what's going to protect my heart and serve other people? Um, So what boundaries need Mm -hmm. to be put in place to protect what God's asking you to do and who he's asking you to be? Yeah, establishing boundaries is a lifelong pursuit for everyone, no matter what home you're raised in or the quality of relationships that you've had up to this point. But we do hope that as you've listened to today's episode and we've talked about forging new patterns, we've just given you some hooks to hang things on. And you can go back and listen. You can take notes on each of these points. But I hope you stay with us as we go through this Managing Your Dysfunctional Family series because we're going to get into the specifics of your relationship with your father, your mother, sibling, rivalry, um, all the things that happen in families that— you know, trip people up. So, Blended families, that's yeah, going to be a good one. We're excited Ooh, that one's fun. to tackle all of these topics. So stay with us and thank you for being with us today. Yeah, good to be with you guys. I felt so great about today. <laughs> Love you guys. Thanks for listening. And thanks for letting us be with you in the weeds of your life. We want this resource to bring you hope and to help bridge the gap between where you are and where you want to be. Check out our website, withyouintheweeds.com. You can find all our episodes there and a whole lot more. Or if you like what you're hearing, simply follow us on Instagram. Like us and leave a review. Until next time, remember, God is with you in the weeds.